Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Today's episode is about the U.S. Open, a tournament determined to bring back professional tour-level tennis in late August. And on Wednesday, the USTA hosted a Zoom meeting open to over 400 players and coaches. A lot of ideas were discussed, communications between the players and the tournament. Kei Nishikori proposed the U.S. Open be played without rankings points. That idea was quickly shot down. Marin Cilich proposed a pay raise given the hazardous nature of potentially playing at this time. Uh, this despite the fact that the USTA just laid off 130 employees. So, of course, a pay raise is not going to happen right now. For the record, the U.S. Open has promised about at least 95% of prize money that would normally be paid out to players in a regular U.S. Open will be paid out to players uh, even without fans. And the combined prize money between Cincinnati and the U.S. Open, if they play both tournaments in Queens, would amount to about $30 million. The USTA has laid out three options here. The first option is is to stage Cincinnati in New York at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center and a modified version of the U.S. Open with reduced doubles draws and no qualifying tournament. The second option is to cancel Cincinnati and go ahead with the U.S. Open. The benefit of that would be um, a full-size doubles draw and a proper qualifying week leading up to the main draw. The third option is to cancel the U.S. Open altogether. Of course, that option doesn't include Cincinnati either. Notice none of the three options. It is off the table that the U.S. Open were to be held at an alternate location. That's something that's been brought up on social media, um, and the USTA has determined that they simply don't have the infrastructure to hold the U.S. Open outside of Queens. That is not on the table. But what was the biggest takeaway from Wednesday's Zoom meeting between USTA officials and players? It was that perhaps we've overlooked the biggest obstacle to bringing back professional tennis. Christopher Clary of the New York Times, in his story this morning, said, quote, Wednesday's meeting made it clear that, th that the U.S. Open is highly unlikely to get a full-strength field. Yeah. We've underlooked, or perhaps we've uh, overlooked, I should say, the players in this equation. Of course, the top players have a lot of pull. The big three, especially on the men's side. Uh, Roger Federer is out of the equation, as he announced on all social media platforms that his 2020 season is over. So he suffered a setback um, in his knee rehabilitation he will now have another arthroscopic surgery on his knee, and we won't see him until 2021. So the attention shifts to Djokovic and Nadal, and it's, in, it's undeniable that what Nadal does could affect Djokovic and what Djokovic does could affect Nadal. Sports Illustrated tennis writer and tennis channel commentator John Wertheim tweeted this, Game theory exercise. Three top tennis players, each chasing history, concerned about their families, None is inclined to play the next major, but there is a huge incentive to break the cartel if the other two stay home. What's the likely outcome? Wertheim's on to something here. Djokovic and Nadal, they will be married to each other in this decision. 
There is no way that one stays home and potentially gives the other a free pass at adding to the coveted Grand Slam title count, a race that is heating up, a race that will mean a lot to all three. Whether or not Nadal admits it, Djokovic has been upfront about it, that means a lot, and I think either neither play or both play. But both have been a little bit hesitant, dare I say reluctant, about the prospects of playing a U.S. Open in a bubble. And the bubble, which a lot of other sports leagues have implemented or proposed uh, to implement, means no contact with the outside world. You're going to have some inconveniences. One of those inconveniences is no fans, and we'll get to that in a second. But I'll, first, let's start with Nadal, then Djokovic. Nadal said to journalists on a Zoom call, quote, If you ask me today if I want to travel to New York to play a tennis tournament, I will say no. I will not. In a couple of months, I don't know how the situation is going to improve. Hopefully, it's going to improve the right way. And I'm sure the people who organized the event, the USTA, want a safe event. It's kind of curious for me, this statement. It's fair. Everything he's saying is fair, but it, it's a bit irrelevant. It's a bit of a straw man argument because the tournament is not being held today. The tournament is being held in two months. So to say I would not go today seems a little bit irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. And as someone who, who has followed very carefully in the United States, the, the national and local regulations that the government has imposed regarding uh, COVID-19 and the attempt to avoid the spread of COVID-19, it's very clear that we are uh, a trending towards reopening. New York just began phase two of four phases uh, in terms of a COVID-19 reopening. But before I get, and I'm not going to really dwell on that, let's, let's keep it to tennis here. Here's what Nadal had to say on that very Zoom call about the prospect of playing without fans. Well, for, for me, it's always uh, the feeling of uh, of competing in front of the of the people. No, the feeling when you go out and you see a full crowd uh, supporting the supporting the screaming. That's always the, the for me the most uh, special feeling. That's that's the main thing. So uh, coming back without crowd will be, be strange. I think will be tough and strange, and hopefully. Not will happen, but uh, probably sadly we will have to do it that way. Well, I'm not okay uh, on playing without fans. I want to play with fans, but if the situation is not allowing to play with fans, uh, so uh, as everybody, I will I will adapt to the to the to the situation. No, but of course I I hope that the situation improves, and I really hope that we will be able to play with fans very very soon because uh tennis and the sport without the fans uh lose almost every single thing he's not thrilled about this and while by no means did he say that he refuses to play in a situation where there are no fans in fact quite the opposite he said that he's willing to adapt as everyone else will have to if tournaments need to play uh need to be played without fans but just just the very sentiment is a little bit shaky for Nadal. As Noah Rubin pointed out, players who are used to playing 250s or challengers or even uh, 
college tennis at a lower level, or really competitive tennis all around the world. 99.5% of competitive tennis worldwide is played without spectators. And I understand that not everyone is Nadal. I also understand that tennis is very closely tied to the atmosphere, as is every other sport. As a as a play-by-play -play announcer, anyone who covers sports, uh, a journalist can can attest to this. The enjoyment level of a sporting event is very closely tied to the crowd, to the environment. No one is denying that, but you have to be a little bit careful. You need to check your tennis privilege in a way. Uh, when you talk about, well, tennis loses almost everything without fans. That statement is a little bit hard to hear for most players. Now, Djokovic also spoke to media, and I want to play a clip from Novak on Serbian television. Notice, Djokovic wasn't too concerned about the no fans provision, but he was a little bit more concerned about a different one. Se ponašamo ovaj svakodnevno ukoliko bi želeli da idemo na US Open su zaista ekstremni. Ono što ono što mogu da kažem neke stvari ne mogu još da podelim jer su ovaj poverljive, ali sa druge strane ono što mogu da kažem je da ne bi imali pristup Manhattanu na primjer. Mislim morali bi da spavamo na u hotelima na aerodromu ili u hotelima koji su na tom Long Islandu gde se zapravo nalazi US Open i ceo taj teniski klub gde se održava turnir. Morali bi dva, tri puta nedeljno da se testiramo, imali bi ograničen broj ljudi, ja mislim samo jednog čoveka koji bi mogli da dovodimo u teniski klub, što je prosto nezamislivo, zato što vi imate i teniskog trenera, i kondicionog trenera, i fizioterapeuta, imate veliki tim ljudi, tako da to su neke onako poprilično žestoke mere, Oni pod svaku cenu žele da održe turnir iz ekonomskih razloga, što je meni potpuno razumljivo, ali sa druge strane opet pitanje je koliko je sve to ostvarivo, pitanje je koliko zapravo, koja količina igrača zapravo želi da se podvrgne takvim uslovima. Djokovic very unhappy with the idea that the USTA would limit player guests to one, but most of the tour doesn't travel with more than one person. In fact, a lot of the tour travels with nobody. I asked Noah Rubin this very question. Noah, do you travel with anyone? Last year when I interviewed him, here's what he said. I don't know what your team looks like, but your team compared to someone in the top 25 when it comes to uh, physios and psychologists and the kind of the entourages that they're able to, uh, to, to bring, I'm wondering... How much of an advantage is it for, for the players on the top? And how much does that play into the fact that a lot of the same players are winning? A hundred percent. I mean, you know, once, you know, Federer wakes up and gets his uh, toes massaged by two separate people, it's, you know, there's going to be an advantage to that. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I'm not traveling with anybody. I can't really afford it. I have my father, you know, that helps me out. I have an agent who helps me out and, uh, and some coaches back home every once in a while. But for the most part, I'm playing on my own. I'm doing what I can now. Um, you know, I used to travel with a coach, but it was it was really just too expensive. So um, I'm at a point where I'm basically doing it by myself, and that's how I'm finding my happiness and, and financial stability. But, you know, for the people at the top that can really do what they want and, 
And Karen Koshinov explained that for him, it, it takes about four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars um, mm-hmm. on a year um, to work with his team. I mean, that's that's a number that I don't even make in two years right now. So to you know, he makes enough money that he can do that in a year-to-year basis, and that's why they, you know, can can have that stability. Right now, there's so many moving parts for me, and I have to take care of so many things. Uh, it's a very difficult situation and makes the road to the top um, tough, and that's why it, it's so hard to break through. Ruben is not alone. So many players don't travel with a coach. A large portion of players travel with just that, one coach very few players only the elite players travel with an entourage with a physio with a sports psychologist with an agent when Novak Djokovic is calling these measures extreme he is being a little bit tone deaf how is a provision extreme when the vast majority of tour plays under these exact circumstances regardless of any safety measures that could be in place. So it's not surprising that world number 51 WTA player Danielle Collins came down hard on Djokovic, saying, quote, he is one of the most influential players of our time, and his reluctance to play could determine whether or not the U.S. Open goes ahead. His incredible accomplishments and being the greatest player in the world has given him privileges like having a full staff to support him. The majority of players do not have this luxury. And I think it's important for top players to take a step back and realize that in the grand scheme of things, we have it pretty good. Everyone else is making sacrifices, losing their jobs, having to find childcare for their children who can't get to school, etc., If the biggest sacrifice I will have to make in order to get tennis back up and going is only bringing one guest to the site, then I will consider myself very fortunate. I think that's well said by Collins. And there are a lot of concerns here. Public safety concerns. um, Concerns about being away from family. These are all concerns. And personal safety concerns, by the way. I don't want to just say public. What about personal safety concerns? Something that Nadal has has expressed um, some, some concern about. Yeah, those are all really, really valid concerns. But no fans, entourage, let's be careful. Let's be careful if you're Djokovic and Nadal about what you are citing as the reasons you're concerned about playing a U.S. Open or not playing a U.S. Open. Let's be careful not to frame the, the luxuries that you're used to having that are being taken away. Let's be sure not to frame those as the reasons why we might not play the U.S. Open. That would, that won't be a good look. Now, tennis isn't alone. Tennis isn't alone at all. Tennis players are not alone uh, in terms of grappling with the prospects of perhaps making sacrifices in order to move forward with the sport. So let's take a look at other sports. Almost every sport, including the NHL and MLB, are planning on using rigorous testing combined with bubble communities to mitigate the risks of playing. 
The NHL is doing quite well. The National Hockey League, the league and the Players Association have agreed on a 24-team playoff format. Today, they agreed that on July 10th, the teams will begin training camp. There's still a lot of other details that need to be negotiated, but there is serious momentum for hockey to return. In the National Basketball Association, the league and the Players Association have agreed to restart the uh, the league, reduced to 22 teams on July 31st in Orlando, Florida. Some players have expressed concern, but they won't be punished if they don't want to participate. And a date is also set for training camp. That date is June 30th. Major League Baseball has had the most trouble. This is a league where the top players are played the most. This is a league uh, which has the strongest and most powerful players union. So it's no surprise that Major League Baseball has struggled to come to terms. The league and the players union can't agree on terms. And the two sides have been trading offers unsuccessfully since mid-May. But where, but where there's real optimism, or on the other hand, real concern for tennis, is that the two other individual sports, they are well on their way already. The UFC, where by the way, fighter pay is often horrendous. Fighters have jumped at the opportunity to fight, almost universally suggesting that, um, that they would love to fight um, in, in bubble conditions with no fans. And the UFC has made a full return domestically in the United States, and an international fight card is scheduled for July 11th in Abu Dhabi. PGA, professional golf, it's back. They are playing right now as I speak. Don't get me wrong. You know, there are a lot of interesting things to grapple with. This is not easy for anyone. And as Danielle Collins pointed out, there are sacrifices being made all over the world in all industries. All I'm saying is this. Djokovic and Nadal have done nothing wrong here. And uh, the players need to stand up for themselves. The players have power. They should have power. They should have leverage. They need to be safe. Personal safety public safety, these are the priorities. But if Nadal and Djokovic are unwilling to play without luxuries that most don't have to begin with, it is not going to look good. And if tennis, in the midst of successful comebacks by most major sports, is the sport left behind, that could do significant long-term damage. Nadal and Djokovic need to make sure that they aren't the reasons if tennis is left in the dust here. That's our show. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. If you're listening on podcast platforms, please rate and review. I'll see you next time.